Our passage comes from Matthew 27. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the, and about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lima sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the others said, wait, let's see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. There were also many women there looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who also was a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it be given to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in clean linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there, sitting opposite the tomb. The next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how this impostor said while he was still alive, After three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead. And the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard of soldiers. Go, make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. This is God's word for God's people. Thanks. Good evening, Providence. My name is Nate, and I have the honor and privilege to serve here as a resident. So welcome to Good Friday. And before I pray, I wanted to share with you a couple things that I thought of as I was preparing for this sermon. My mind was initially drawn to the disciples. I, I thought to myself, like, there is absolutely no way that they would ever have come to the conclusion that indeed today is a Good Friday. Just imagine for yourselves the disciple, the shock, right, seeing Jesus beaten and placed on a tree. I'm asking you to put yourself in their shoes for a moment and imagine the fear and the anxiety, right, the depression, the shame, the guilt that they would have experienced as what took place. 
No, for them, this was not a good Friday. It was terrible. How could this be? Right? This was the phrase that continued to replay in my mind over and over again as I thought of myself as one of the disciples. Right? How could it be that this man that we walked with for miles, right, the one that we listened to intently, holding on to every word that he spoke, how could it be that he's gone? How could it be? Right? We witnessed him heal the sick. He raised the dead. He gave the, the, the blind sight. Right? The, hear and the deaf could hear. How could this be? I imagine myself being Peter, for example, and Peter thinking to himself in his shame and his guilt, right, I've, I felt the power of God running through my veins as, as he used a, a simple fisherman as a vessel to heal others in his name, right? How could it be that Jesus is gone? Right, the disciples' world was flipped upside down. The reality and expectations were rocked. How could this be? So last Sunday, Andrew preached on the irony of King Jesus, right? His betrayal, his desertion, and him being crucified for his claim to kingship. Well, tonight, I think the scripture is pointing to the reality of Jesus as king and what he did for us, right? The God who came down from his place of glory to be with us. Tonight represents that cold, hard reality that the wrath of God which was reserved for sinners like you and me, was poured onto the Lamb of God. So let's sit in that tonight. Let's, let's think about that. Let's deal with Jesus' death, how it was real, it was meaningful, and it was part of the gospel. So regardless of your circumstances that you come in tonight, right, whether you're feeling pain and agony, or whether you have depression or anxiety, or there's, there's sin in your life that's pulling you down, Right? Maybe it's your identity, and you're placing it in what you do instead of who you are in Christ Jesus. Just know that God is with us. He's with you. He won't leave you alone. If you leave it one takeaway for tonight, that's going to be the theme, that God came to experience suffering and pain to reconcile a wayward people back to himself. God is the God who is with us. Right, this is the theme, and the, in the midst of darkness and despair, trials or tribulations, God is with us because of Jesus. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, I come to you tonight, and we just ask that your spirit moves, that your spirit humbles hearts, that we do not overlook the death and just fly past it, that we don't fly past your burial, Lord, but it is meaningful. And even in despite that, you are still with us, Lord. So we just pray for humble hearts. Let me not be a stumbling block for your people to hear your word. I pray these, all these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. All right, so tonight we're going to take a, a couple look, looks at elements of Jesus' death and his burial and how they illuminate this idea that God is with us. We begin in the final scenes of Jesus' life. And so as we turn to Scripture, starting with verses 45 and 46. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness all over the land until the ninth. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, 
Eli, Eli, lama shabakni. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Right, we see Jesus' arms stretched out, right? He's crying to his father, but he's met with no response. Right, interestingly, Matthew points out this darkness that covers the land. And when we look in a biblical sense, darkness is always usually associated with God's judgment and the separation from him. For example, when we look at Exodus 10.21 concerning the ninth plague over Egypt, it reads, The Lord says to Moses, Stretch out your hand towards heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. Right, Darkness here illustrates God's displeasure with humanity. Darkness represents his judgment over evil and wickedness. Right, this is the backdrop that Matthew is painting, with Jesus at the center of the darkness, at the center of the cross, calling out towards heaven, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Theologian Daniel Dorini points out that uh, Jesus Christ is atypical, right? It's not normal. And the theologian, theologian writes, until now, Jesus addressed the Father as Father or as my Father. But now he says, my God, my God. Until now, Jesus enjoyed unbroken fellowship with the Father, but now he declares himself forsaken. So why did Jesus have to experience this feeling of forsakenness? Right, he experienced it so he could be with us. Right, Jesus is the forsaken one who shared glory with the Father, who emptied himself out, took on human flesh to be with us. Right, if we look at Matthew, go all the way back to chapter 1, concerning the virgin birth, we see that Scripture says all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophets. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Coping with this reality of the cross, Jesus endures darkness. And perhaps the most painful of it all was that Jesus, the Son of God, endured separation from his Holy Father. He took on flesh to be with us. He endured pain and separation to be with us. It was God who showed his love and mercy to an undeserving people. And Paul accurately depicts this when he says, he who knew no sin became sin for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21. Great bodily suffering and pain was experienced that day and when the judgment of the Father was completely poured out onto his Son, in his very last earthly breath, we read in verse 50, And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Right? Jesus came to this world saying, here I am. I'm your God and your king. But his lordship was rejected, rejected by the same people he came to save. 
Right? Jesus verbalizes his abandonment on that cross because indeed he was abandoned. Right? Abandoned by his disciples and his close followers. Abandoned by his family and his religious community. Abandoned by God himself. He did so in expressing the trustworthy reality that if you are in Christ, you can say that God is with us. Right? He knows our pain. He knows our suffering, our sorrows, depression, loneliness, trauma from our past. He knows it all because he experienced it. Right? He felt it on that cross. And Jesus is willing and able to meet you in that darkness, whatever it looks like for you. Providence, do we believe that God is with us? Yes, amen. That's the present question for this evening. So after Jesus yields up his perfect, righteous, Holy Spirit, something extraordinary happens. Right, Following his death, we read in verse 51 through 53. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks split and the tombs were opened. And many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. So for, what, for some, what stands out in this passage is the resurrection of the dead, right? What's all that walking dead talk about? And this scene conjures up much debate and meaning for why Matthew chooses to place it in the story he does, right? Because he says after his, after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. And so I don't want to speculate, but I do think what Matthew is pointing to is that Jesus' death is the event that signifies a great victory over death itself, right? It's a conquering over the power of sin, Jesus is the first fruit of the resurrection, which we can have hope for, right? We can rise to new life in our Savior's death. So I want to instead focus on the tearing of the curtain in the temple. As we covered on many occasions as we've gone through Matthew, right? Matthew is right into a, his brothers and sisters, Jewish brothers and sisters who understood the prophecies he's talking about and the things in the Old Testament that he's referring to. And chief of them is the temple. That's where God resides. So what's the significance of the curtain tearing? Why is it important for us today? A quick background, only the high priests were able to pass through that curtain once a year. And after going through a purification process, the priest would enter into the Holy of Holies, and he would sprinkle blood from a slain lamb onto the mercy seat. In doing so, the priest would intercede on behalf of all of Israel for their sins, for the forgiveness of their sins. So can you imagine not being able to experience the presence of God? Imagine for a second, if only our elders, or maybe one of them, Jared, you're the one I see, maybe Jared's the only one who can enter into this holy of holies and sprinkle blood onto the mercy seat and feel the presence of God. Right, Matthew is pointing to this veil which separates the people from the creator, right? The unrighteous from the righteous. But now that's open. Open to all who'd receive 
the Lamb of God and be covered by his blood. Right, Matthew's making this connection that his audience would have understood. Jesus is the sacrifice, but he's also the high priest. And like the Levitical priests, Jesus satisfies the law in offering himself for our sin. But unlike those priests who had to do it year after year, over and over, our Lord Jesus did it one time. Right, and that when the earth shook, showing that even nature recognizes the finished work of the cross, the curtain is open, and a divine passageway via Jesus to the love and mercy of God is open. Right, Jesus is our high priest. And the author of Hebrews communicates this in chapters four and seven. Just to summarize, he says that Jesus is our high priest, right? He's able to sympathize with our weaknesses. He is holy, innocent, unstained, and exalted above heaven. So what's it mean for us, right? It means that the creator and the sustainer of the universe sacrificed his son, the perfect lamb of God, out of love and mercy so that we could confidently say without a shadow of doubt that God is with us. Right? He walls off the wrath of God and invites us into a deep and fulfilling relationship with him. By his blood, we're able to step into his goodness. We can step through that curtain to the goodness and grace of God. Right? Providence, God is with us, but do you believe it? What separates us from a holy God was removed in Christ Jesus but do you believe it? So moving on to our last component in relation to the theme of God being with us is the burial of our king. Due to time constraints, I don't have time to read all the passage, but a quick summary of verses 57 through 66 depicts a wealthy man named Joseph requesting that the body of Jesus be taken down from Pilate. Then wrapping him up in a cloth, he takes him to the tomb to be buried. The tomb is sealed with a large rock. The guards were placed to secure it. So coming back full circle to our disciples that we talked about early, right? For them, they must have thought that this was the end, right? It's over. He's dead. He's buried and the sealed was tomb, or the tomb was sealed. It's over. Indeed, Jesus, if he was God, he must have left us, right? If our hope was wrapped up in Jesus, then surely he's not for us. But Providence, we know that that is not the case, right? The importance of Jesus' burial cannot be overlooked. Jesus lying dead in that cold, empty tomb is where he enters into our spiritual state of lifelessness, Right, Jesus lying dead in that cold, empty tomb is where he enters into our spiritual state of lifelessness so that he can experience and overcome all things. From his birth to his death, right, the Savior, our King, became sin. He experienced death so that we could overcome both of them and so that God could be with us. The cross is that chosen means in which a sovereign God decreed to reconcile wayward people back to himself. 
right? Jesus took on isolation. He was buried in his loneliness in order to give us fellowship and community in Christ. Even in his death and burial, God is with us. So for those who don't know my story, I grew up in an environment um, filled with poverty, um, a lot of criminal activity, exploitation of women, and for the most part, I turned out okay. Turned out okay by worldly standards. But the lesson that I learned was, was a phrase to like grind or to dig in the mud. And all that simply means if you work really hard, you can find a diamond in the dirt, right? If you work really hard, you can mold that mud of your conditions into a little kingdom. And there's nothing intrinsically wrong with that idea, right? We are called to work hard and we should not allow the world to drag us down. But the problem is I took that into my Christian walk and the same strength that I used to get myself out of that environment, that's the same strength that I said, I will claw my way to heaven. But Jesus said, Nate, no, it's not about you. But Jesus alone says that he is the free gift of salvation and forgiveness and that the grace of God supplies it all. Right? Jesus came to fulfill the law, and on that cross, that's where, his law, where the law and his love met. Right? The perfect son died for imperfect children so that we could be adopted as sons and daughters in the kingdom. God came down from heaven to be with us. And so if you're sitting in this room tonight and you are in Christ, not because of what you've done, but because of what he has done, Remember his goodness, remember his mercy, remember that God is with us. He felt our pain, he felt loneliness, he felt despair, he was forsaken, and he yielded up his perfect righteous spirit for us. He's calling us into obedience, and he's calling for our lives to resemble his. For those in the room who have not truly met Jesus, right, or experienced his love, Right? Maybe you're a cultural Christian and you say the right things. You come to church. You go to city groups. But you haven't felt the spirit working in your life. I ask that you reflect on this evening. It doesn't matter how good you are. It doesn't matter what you do. Right? It doesn't matter about your talents or how popular you are. What matters is the blood of the Lamb. What matters is Jesus Christ came to die for sinners. On that cross, Calvary, on the cross of Calvary is where the perfect one died for the imperfect. In his death, you can have new life and victory over your sin. And you can be a part of a brotherhood and a sisterhood who can say without a shadow of a doubt that God is with us. I urge you to sit in that, this reality, in that reality this weekend. Pray for the Spirit to reveal, reveal God's Son to you personally. Providence Church, as we close this evening, you're going to notice, and we talked about it, that our communion tables are empty. Right? So tonight, we're going, to, we're going to fast from our privilege of partaking in the elements of Christ's blood and Christ's body. And so I'm calling us to a somber awaiting, a somber anticipation of our risen Lord. And I promise 
in a couple of days from now, we'll celebrate. But tonight, let's reign in the celebration. As, as we close the scripture, as um, Steve closes in worship, as we walk out here in silence, reflect on King Jesus, right? Picture our king all alone in the tomb, abandoned. And I think it would do well if we sit in that reality. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as we reflect on your love and kindness and mercy, Lord, we just pray that the Spirit prompts us over the next course, the next couple of days, that, that it prompts us to remind us of the real, the reality, the rawness of your death, Lord. That you came to save sinners like us. That, that, that you cried out on the cross and your father did not respond, but you did it to be with us. Lord, the enemy must have been smiling that day, thinking that he had won. But we know that victory is in Christ Jesus. We know that victory and the power of sin has been defeated if we turn to you, if we abide in you. Lord, I just thank you for your goodness and mercy. And as we walk out this evening, let your son be on our mind, our hearts. And let us forever remember your grace, your mercy, and your love. I pray all these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen.